treating Get Back on the Disney Channel like you would treat Halloween candy for your kid that you didn't want to get cavities. I'm doling it out slowly to myself. And this is not like me. I like to binge heavy. I like to go whole hog. I can do it. I like to challenge myself. Can I binge this series in two days? Can I move things off the schedule, binge it, consume it, and get it off the plate? But not get back because I am fascinated by the opportunity to spend time with the Beatles. That's, that is what this documentary series by Peter Jackson feels like. If you haven't started to ingest it, then I would highly recommend it. If you have, you know what I'm talking about already. And maybe you've had the same thought that I have. Maybe I should think about dusting off the guitar. Maybe I pull that amp out. Maybe I try and find the chords. Maybe I plug in the electric. Maybe I just start to practice practice again because I forgot how much joy it can bring you. It's not that you think you're going to be one of the Beatles or that you think you have exceptional musical talent. It's just that you realize that it was an awful lot of fun playing an instrument. And you know what? It actually could be really great for your brain. Jessica Gon is a cognitive neuroscientist at the Western University, and she joins the show now. Jessica, I'm so happy to have you on. Oh, pleasure to be here. Thanks. So you study connections in the brain and how they're formed. When it comes to playing badly, I understand that it's actually not a horrible thing. If you aren't very good at your instrument, you shouldn't even consider putting it down yet. Why? Yeah, don't give hope, give up hope just yet. I think that is a good message, in part because a lot of what our brain is doing when we're learning is trying to figure out what are the right inputs that we should be paying attention to. And so, and what are the right outputs that actually work to achieve the sound I'm looking for? And that process just takes time and iteration. We sort of have to go over and over it again, and it, and it refines the connections. So when you're making those mistakes, your brain knows, wait a minute, that was not what I was after okay, don't do it that way again. Now, there is something to be said for trying to, what we call use deliberate practice, which is not just play through a song, mistakes and all, and never go back and work on those errors. Because mm-hmm. if you never go back and try and give your brain the right inputs where you're doing it correctly, you know, slowing it down or whatever it takes, then it never gets a chance to get that, oh, that's what it feels like when it's correct. That's what I should be reinforcing here. So you, you want to make sure you're not just ignoring your mistakes, but we do, our brain learns from our mistakes. It's, a, it's an error learning machine. So your brain is forming new pathways. You make the mistake and you've acknowledged somewhere in your brain, that's a mistake. I'm going back. And it is trying to form new pathways to get you to that next note so your finger doesn't slip up again. One of the things that I noticed when I first started learning how to play guitar is it is when you first start, your learning curve is huge. It is massive. It's so much bigger than when you've been playing for a while. And it seems that if you leave it, you come back to it in the morning, magically, you don't make that same mistake. How long does it take for these pathways to form? And do they happen while you are shutting everything down and sleeping? Sleep is so important. That was actually one of the things when I was in college, I remember learning about this fact in neuroscience that people were doing sequence learning tasks, you know, pressing orders of buttons, and some of them would get to nap, 
and then get to do it again. And others would just wait the same period of time, but with no nap and then go get to do it again. And the people who napped learned faster and, and had what we call savings. So that gap didn't hurt their performance as much. So there is something very special about sleep and helping consolidate or really retain the information that we're learning uh, when we're awake. And there's a number of theories about what's going on there. So indeed, it takes time. You've got to um, express proteins in the brain that help increase the connections between neurons that are important or, or the accurate, uh, you know, that represent the accurate movement and maybe not reinforce those connections that aren't related to accuracy. And this process happens at multiple time levels. So there are things that happen immediately. There are things that happen over the, the time frame of more like hours or days. And then there are absolutely things that take years and years to build up. So even, you know, what's happening in the 10 minutes after your practice session, your brain is still responding to that input that you've given it um, right away. So it, it is a whole range of, of timeframes that we're looking at. But sleep indeed is one of those little brain hacks that you can use to try and make the most out of the practice that you put in. And I would imagine that these new uh, pathways that you're forming benefit you in more than just um, musically. I was watching this documentary, which I, I call it a documentation if I see something that I really like and want to recommend to people listening to the show. And uh, it's an older documentary, but I highly recommend it. It's Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me. And one of the things that they really, Glenn Campbell passed away, I think, I believe he had Parkinson's. And one of the last things to go was his musical ability. I mean, he couldn't even remember lyrics, but he could still pull up um, just a guitar solo, like nobody's business. What's happening in the brain when people play music? Yeah, so many things. So one of the nice things about music is it engages so much of our brain. Um, we have sound, we have movement. If we're reading the music, we've got visual inputs that are relevant, but we also frequently engage with music socially and we are such social beings. Our brains are really attuned to the people around us and what they're doing. And we're really rewarded by connecting with those people. And music is one of the ways that we can do that. So when we're playing music, and especially when we're playing music together, we get a lot of reward activity. Um, there's something called collective effervescence, which is this joy of being part of a group that's accomplishing something larger, has a common purpose beyond what you could achieve on your own. And this is something we really seek out as, as human beings. So music also gets these other more core you know, feelings and, and, and reward systems going in a way that other activities might also be intellectually challenging, but might not have this, this richness to them with the social interaction. And indeed, one of the things that makes music really interesting to neuroscientists is the fact that when you look at various types of dementia, music does seem to be one of the, the last things to go. And again, that's partly because of the areas that deteriorate initially in dementia might not be the ones that overlap with, with our musical experience, but also because music is something that is so part of our lives. You know, From the time we're born, people are singing to us and bouncing us, that it really does seem to be that the responses to music can be gotten in so many different ways, that there are so many different brain areas processing it, that you have to have quite a lot of brain deterioration before you really start impacting uh, people's musical um, memories and responses. There's something very fundamental or primal about it. Is singing in the shower beneficial for you? I mean, I bring that up because a lot of people don't want to be around people when they sing. But we know that singing is also an act of, of being musical. So do you get benefits with, with that? 
I would say so. I mean, anything that's a nice self-expression that you enjoy and like who doesn't sound great in the shower. So you're getting positive reinforcement from that feeling that, oh, I feel great. Um, is definitely good. Those sorts of activities that we're doing, mm-hmm. you know, it, it relieves stress. Stress. It's a way of yeah, affirming your identity. And we know these things absolutely um, help us. And, the, and then the other thing about singing is we have this weird Western culture thing that we do of like, oh, we have good singers and bad singers and good musicians and bad musicians. And we've really taken away a lot of the joy that we get from engaging in musical activities because you're only supposed to do it in front of other people if you're good at it. Otherwise, you're inflicting something terrible on them. But actually, you know, choirs of community members who are not expert, they get a lot out of this endeavor, regardless of whether every note is absolutely perfect. And, and kids, too, really enjoy participating in these activities, regardless of whether they're perfect at them right away. And so we've, we've really, I think, as a society, not done ourselves any favors by having so many examples of perfect music around us and at, at the expense of participatory music that we're that we're all meant to enjoy together. Well, it might be an idea to take a trip to Long and McQuaid and invest in some musical instruments, whether they just be uh, percussive instruments that the family can play uh, together over the, the Christmas holidays. It's not a bad idea to learn a new uh, instrument or pick up that old instrument that you used to play. Um, I know a lot of us have them kicking around somewhere in the house. Jessica, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you very much for having me.